Mary's Well. On Sunday morning we walked up the same stony lane down which we had seen the cow coming. The sun, as always, was bright above our heads. We passed many flat-roofed native houses. One of these was being repaired. A woman was carrying a bucket of liquid mud up a ladder, and we saw her empty it on the level platform. Once on the top of the hills, we were rewarded by a wide view of the country. We saw Mount Carmel recumbent under the blue sky, and beyond to the north the wide-edged sea curving along the new moon beach of Acre. We followed a narrow field path. On one side was a wall, and on the other plough lands, already prepared for the spring sprouting of the tall stalked barley of the country. A man came by behind a harnessed donkey. He wore a black coat over his wide white calico trousers. He was followed by a boy with a fluttering yellow headdress. The mould of the arable land was dry and crumbling. It looked very natural. I could not have told that I was not in some field above Chiselborough, with my father at my side pointing out Glastonbury Tor to me as it showed over the Poldens. Presently this illusion of familiarity was accentuated by seeing a wheatier flying before us from one projecting clod to another. We arrived at an acreage overlooking Nazareth. Up from the village came the sound of church bells. I remembered it was Sunday. They could see a troop of children following each other through the bazaars, shepherded by nuns. Far over the houses, swallows such as Jeremiah used to watch, swept backward and forward in pursuit of their invisible prey. The Sabbaths that Jesus woke to after his week's work could hardly have been dissimilar. They must have offered much the same impressions. If he had stood that morning on that high field, he would have recognised the particular shape of each one of the fifteen hills. He would have known just where his sister's homes had been, and from a mile away could have pointed out the exact position of the village well and the gate into his father's vineyard. How one's mind hungers to recapture out of the past every aspect of his life. What manner of dreams were his? What images of shadow and illumination passed through his mind in sleep? Were they of heaven only, or of simple common matters concerning the earth that he knew, transformed by a glamour? Matters that had to do, perhaps, with the girl he had seen weaving at the door of a cottage with wool of scarlet, and too shy so much as to raise her eyes from her work. We returned through the village, passing a shed where two camels were stalled. They lay flank to flank in a narrow enclosure, their underjaws solemnly working backward and forward. Above their imperturbable heads was a cactus branch with squat yellow flowers growing unexpectedly out of it. It was in the afternoon of the same day that we went to visit the Church of the Annunciation. We managed to evade the Arab caretaker who was hanging out near the gate, a greedy-looking man in the prime of Greece and with the eye of a butcher, matter of fact, all there, cynical. A service was in progress. We sat at the back of the church. I listened with absorbed interest to the strange murmuring that came from the direction of the altar. How unmistakable a sound it was, this buzzing, now loud, now soft. It echoed through the temples of Thebes, through the temples of Athens, through the temples of Rome, the honeybee hum of the human race at its prayers.
When the worshippers had left, we went down into the crypt below the high altar, a red granite column depending from the ceiling marks. A red granite column depending from the ceiling marks the place where the Virgin stood, and another pillar in the corner where the angel Gabriel stood. Over the altar of the chapel were writ the words, Verbum caro hic factum est. Though the hanging pillar looked ancient enough, the place was not convincing to me. It would be imprudent for anyone to put too much trust in the traditions of the church. The testimony of the Christians cannot be relied upon. While I was there taking it all in, two small native girls came down the marble stairway and, kneeling upon the steps of the altar, began kissing the ground. Like little church mice, they almost crawled under the table in their childish enthusiasm. We wished to see the chapel of St. Joseph and were told that one of the Franciscan brothers would show it to us. We waited under the courtyard, under a flowering oleander, and presently a red-haired monk appeared. He was very innocent. When he came opposite to the altar of the flight into Egypt, seeing him bend his knee, I did so also, out of comity. Immediately he asked me whether I was a Catholic, and with no little embarrassment I confessed that I was not. It was because of your genuflections, he said. Genuflections. Genuflections. How often had I not heard my father use that word with all the contempt of an old-fashioned evangelical clergyman of the Church of England. The good brother walked with us to Mary's well. We liked him very much. A little street urchin filled a shard with water and offered it to me to drink. However, the distrust I felt for the country after my recent experience caused me to turn away from the importunate child. I have often regretted that I did not drink of that living water. To my superstitious temperament, the incident took to itself afterward a symbolic significance. Who was I to seek to save my skin by a scurvy prudence? I who have lived for twenty years only by the grace of God. If it had been out of the willfulness of my spirit that I had refused to drink, I would not have minded. I would have thought no more about it. One sultry afternoon we walked up the lane past the convent of the poor Clares to the chapel of Our Lady of the Fright. That is built at the place where the mother of Jesus is said to have fainted when she saw the angry crowd returning without her son, he having passed through the midst of them when they were proposing to throw him from the rock of precipitation. An Arab girl followed us in and showed us round the chapel. She gave us some sprays of rosemary and some cones from the cypress trees. One of the latter I sent forward to Marian Linton in her convent of the poor Clares in Warwickshire. Many Franciscan monks were buried here with iron crosses at the heads of their graves. I saw two hawks screaming and tumbling in play about the buttresses of the chapel their intractable hawks' hearts absolutely removed from the spirit of the building that they had selected for their love-making. How could it have been otherwise? How could they know? In their subjection to their blood, this fable of man's would be outside any conceivable apprehension, a fourth-dimensional miscomputation. It was drawing towards sunset when we left and began following down a lane between walls. This lane led us to a group of peasants' houses. We took a path through a garden. An Arab boy came after us, and presently also his father with a dog. They were friendly, and we sat on a rock under a lemon tree, watching the sun disappear. 
Communication with them was very difficult. At intervals the boy would get up and go and gather tomatoes for us, or green citrons, such as the Maccabee was pelted with long ago in the temple at Jerusalem. From where we sat, I could see a diminutive valley or glade stretching away for half a mile in the southward direction. A dozen black cattle were crossing it. The earth of it was red. This formation of ground must have been well known to Joseph and his sons. Even in the twilight, Jesus would have been able to find his way back from here without giving attention to the steps and without the aid of the moon. The air grew chill and the Arab begged us to enter his house. This we did, sitting on some carpets with our backs to a chest set against the walls. It was a warm, lamplit interior and we drank coffee. Outside the moonlight lay on stone and stock and shrub. When at last we arrived at our inn I discovered that I had become the host for two of the largest bugs that ever I saw in my life. That night I again marked the position of the constellations, and I saw how Cygnus, in the early evening of this month, stands over the village and how the Pleiades were over the road to Tiberias. Always in the moonlight, Nazareth took to herself the same shell-pink quality, the same quality that Giotto's tower at Florence has, fair and fragile, and less heavy, it would seem, than ordinary earth and stone and mortar. What unnoticed peace there was in the olive orchards on each side of the dusty walled-in lanes leading to the Mohammedan section of the village.